I can memorize the Bible and still not be able to make my relationships work. And so, you know, trying to bridge this disconnect for people to do a really good job loving people and to love people well and to be a relational bunch who reflects Jesus relationally in this world. That's really what we're about. It's watering time, everybody. It's time for Apollos Watered, a podcast to saturate your faith with the things of God so that you might saturate your world with the good news of Jesus Christ. My name is Travis Michael Fleming, and I am your host. And today on our show, we're having another one of our Deep Conversations. Relationships are tough. There's no way around it. Whether it's a husband and a wife relationship, parents with children, children with parents, with coworkers, bosses, neighbors, friends, classmates, it doesn't matter because people are messy. They, th- they do things that annoy us and we do things that annoy them. We misunderstand and we make mistakes, things pile up and then just something, one little thing sets us off. Now, we don't want to be that way, but life happens and it happens again and again. Why do we fall prey to the same things over and over? Some of the conversations that we have on this show cause you to really think deeply. I mean, you just have to sit there and meditate on it to even grasp the the principles of it. While others that we have are easy to grasp, they're just very hard to put into practice. This is the latter here. I mean, how do we switch joy on in our lives? How do we do that in the relationships that we have? That's why I've invited today's guest onto the show, Chris Corsi, to talk about his book, The Joy Switch, and to find out more. Oh, and one little thing, Chris and I are both from the same region of Illinois, and we recorded this prior to the NFL draft and Aaron Rodgers delightfully being traded away to the New York Jets. And we talk a bit about that as long-suffering Bears fans. So if you were wondering why there was a a little bit of a confusion there, and that's why. There you go. Uh, If you want more conversations like this, where you can really grow in your faith and you want to help water the world, click the link in your show notes because we have an opportunity in front of us to help more people grow in their walk with Jesus and increase their joy so that they might be effective waterers where they are. Now, with that in mind, let's get to my conversation with Chris Corsi. Happy listening. Corsi, welcome to Apollo's Water. Thank you, Travis. Good to be here with you. All right. Are you ready for the Fast Fives? I'm ready. Bring them on. You're living in Holland, Michigan. So the best place to eat in Holland, Michigan is where? Oh, boy. You know what? There is a go-to place. It's um, just right up the road from where we live. It's a small Mexican restaurant called La Harche. And I'm sure I'm mispronouncing it, but it is the (laughs) best food. And they are just, it's a family run business. Their tacos, burritos, everything there is homemade. Excellent. Got to recommend that. Nice. All right. You like, is Mexican your favorite food? It is my favorite food. I got to Yeah, it is for sure. Pizza's up there, but Mexican food's probably just a little bit ahead of pizza. Okay, well, this isn't one of the fast five, but I have to ask since you brought up pizza. Okay, what kind 
of Pete's are we talking about? I mean, style, what kind of style? You know, I have to say New York, New York pizza to me. And it's hard because I'm from Illinois. I'm a Chicago guy, but I have to say New York pizza is just when I had it a few years ago, I was I was blown away. I'm like this. Where has this been all my life? New York style pizza is amazing. So you you mentioned that my wife had a pizza when she was piece of pizza when she was in high school. She was 17 in Poughkeepsie, New York. If you ask her to this day. She can describe it in detail. Oh, yeah. That's how it is. Oh, That's how it is. Honestly, it just, I, I blew me away at when I had that first slice. I was like, where has this been all my life? Uh, I, I don't know if I can give up my Chicago stuff. I like I the Chicago. Yeah, it's good stuff. I, I mean, like you can't go wrong with Chicago. It's it's definitely my neck. My neck is right there. But New York. Oh. You know, I miss what I miss is Lou Malnati's. I don't know if yeah, you, you didn't have in Peoria, but in Chicago, Lou because you were from you're from Peoria. Yeah, Lou, Peoria. Lou Malnati's. Like, I, I mean, I like Giordano's, Lou Malnati's, but I being in Florida now, that I miss that a ton. Oh yeah, and That's I just stuff. saw that in St. Augustine, they're starting a Chicago like restaurant with Chicago style pizza. So I'm Ooh, like, oh, nice. Okay, go, there you go. go. I'm gonna go. There you go. Lou's is amazing. I mean that that pizza is like that's that's definitely that's amazing. up there. Yeah, it's up, it's there. up there. And you can sure. like order it, like put it on dry ice and get it to your house. I'm like, that's yeah. hardcore. Yeah, that is that's hardcore. Really they don't mess around. No, 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 no. And okay, reading your book, one of the things I love, because I was, because I found out we're from the same area. We just yep. talked about that. Right. We should walk through talking and we're going to be talking about the joy switch, but not yet. But in the book, you mentioned that you were watching the Chicago Bears, the best team ever. And so, so here's my question for you. The best Chicago Bear of all time, not named Walter Payton, is who? That's a tough one because I was going to say Payton. Um, oh, that's why goodness. I said it because everybody goes to Payton. I know. Yeah, it's, that's great. where it's I was amazing, going. But I want to hear some other um, people. You know, I like Dick Butkus. I mean, that guy was just yeah. amazing. He was a force, even though I, you know, was a little bit after my time. Just impressed with what I've seen, but I'm also as a Jim McMahon fan. Cause I grew up with, you know, I kind of grew up with the 85 bears. So can you Jim do McMahon, the Super Bowl shuffle? I don't know. It's been a while, but it's, it's still in there. It's, yeah, it's still in a, there. You know, you listen to any Chicago radio, like sports radio, they still play yeah, it. They do still <laughs> play it. It's a classic. Well, that and they have nothing else to celebrate because yeah, we've no, been terrible. That's all we've got. We've I'm got like, the 80. Yeah, on, that's all we've got. We got all we, we just hold on to what we got. Like, you hey, know. it's this next year, though, is going to be good. It, they're, I'm, I, they're looking pretty good. Yeah, I'm hopeful. It's hopeful. It is hopeful. But, yeah. you know, I have a lot of questions about your book when we get to it yeah, because I'm sure. like, enemy mode and the joy switch. How does that relate to the Green Bay Packers? Yes, yes, yeah. I've got some thoughts on that. Yeah. <laughs> to me, and I've got a buddy yep. of mine, uh, several friends that are Packers fans. Oh yeah, yeah. No. Oh yeah, that's no. fierce. That rivalry. No, well, from the Bears' perspective, right yeah. now, Green Bay's like whatever. Yeah. Oh Just yeah. Get away from me. We're yeah. killing it, you. Get away. Yep. That's right. They're not. I don't think they're threatened by us. But because yeah. you're from Illinois and we're both from small towns, I have to ask this question. Sure. This is the next question. What is the best small town in Illinois? Ooh, yeah. You know, that's, that's, it's, there, there's two of them here that I'm pulled between. I lived in Washington, Illinois. That's where okay. I went to high school and, you know, great, great community. I also lived in Metamora, Illinois. And both of those are kind of farm towns. They're, you know, they're big rivalry. 
probably my loyalties with Washington a little more because that's just where I went to high school and uh-huh. lived in Metamora later in life. So I think Washington, Illinois has got to be my my town for sure. Were, you, were your family farmers? No, they were. A lot of my friends, their families were. Um, but okay. no, my family, my dad worked at Caterpillar. Caterpillar is oh, like, okay, yeah. That's the big place down there. A lot of family worked at Caterpillar, retired from Caterpillar. So Caterpillar's put a lot of food on my family's table. Over there. Yeah. Well, they moved. I mean, are they, they still there? Did. They did. They, they moved they still have Texas. some stuff there, but yeah, they relocated their headquarters, which was a big deal. Huge big deal. deal. Yeah. Huge deal. Yeah. I, I, for those that don't know, I mean, we have a kind of a worldwide audience that listen. Um, I rarely get to talk to somebody who's, they're from my area of the, the my neck of the woods. <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of fun to to talk about this because I don't have anybody else to talk to <laughs> about this stuff. But being up in uh, Holland, Michigan, and uh, we've talked a bit about the Four Seasons. I mean, Holland, Michigan is beautiful. But let me pick this question for you. Here you go. If you could be one of the Four Seasons, which would you be and why? That's an easy answer. And it's it's different than what people might expect. It's winter. Winter is Winter my in Michigan? Favorite. Yes. Yes, I know it's it, 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 everybody loves summer in Michigan, but you know, winter is so beautiful up here. Like mm. I'm a snow guy. I love the. I mean, I love the summer. Don't get me wrong. It's beautiful in the summertime, but winter, I think I like winter because it's beautiful. You don't have as many people up here and you could just get outside and do stuff like skiing and all of that good stuff. I love winter. I just, I'm sad if we don't get snow. Well, I, see, that's the, I, I like winter. I actually do like winter. What I don't like is the gray and when the snow goes brown. Yeah. Yeah. That's not fun. <laughs> I don't like that. Yeah. I don't like uh, that. And like, we don't man. get a lot of sunshine up here like you do in Florida. It's it's a, it's real up here. You get a lot of clouds. You don't see the sun sometimes for days. It's, it, that's hard. It's depressing. It is depressing. A lot of people go to Florida in the, they just have, you know, in the wintertime, they just go to Florida for a while and get out of this stuff. I, I could totally do the snowbird thing. I think I totally could. Like right now, I it's like 65 degrees. Oh, I'm in man. shorts and short shirt. I don't wow. mean to make anybody mad. That's amazing. But it's nice. That is, that is <laughs> nice. That's nice. perfect. That is kind of perfect weather, really. It is. I have the top down. And what I, I felt really bad when I moved here, I, I had all my Illinois friends, you know, people up north, and I'm 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 videoing myself driving, thinking with the top down as I'm driving over the water. <laughs> it's like, sorry, sorry, fellas. Rubbing it in a little bit there, Travis. Just a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Just a little bit. Oh, just a little bit. All right. Here's the last question. Number five in the Fast Five. If you were a store, what store would you be in why? Ooh. Well, there is a store up here in Holland. It's actually, it's a blueberry farm, but it is a store and they sell blueberries. They sell all kinds of blueberry related stuff. That would probably be the store. I love, uh, I love this place. Their donuts are amazing. Uh, it's just everything there is great. So you can eat, you can have coffee. Just is it in town or is it like kitty corner from a blueberry? Like you have parking. Cause the reason I ask is that we went and picked blueberries and there was a store that we went to that had blueberry donuts. I mean, they had everything blueberry in there, like blue, Blueberry salsa, blueberry. Oh, I never had blueberry salsa and it was excellent. Wow. That's impressive. Really I haven't had the blueberry salsa, but this is a farm. So they have a farm with the store and they had, they just put a new store downtown Holland. It's called oh, downtown. Okay. It's downtown. Yeah. So, so they I have wasn't... both. So they have one kind of in the country, you know, blueberry trees uh, with the store, but they have this new one downtown Bowerman's on eighth. It's called, it's absolutely 
amazing. Can't go wrong. So why would you be that store? I think because it is such a source of appreciation and joy for people like you. The lines are out the door for this place. People love it. People love blueberries and Michigan blueberries are pretty amazing. So that is a place that brings a lot of joy and connection because people like to bring their family, their friends. Yeah, it's always crowded. There's, there's always a lot of life there. And it's just, yeah, it's fun to go there and watch how excited people are when they get blueberry something in that place. So that <laughs> I'm one of those people. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. Now I'm like, I'm annoying all the news. <laughs> They're like, would you please leave? Yeah, I just, yeah I get it. We're going to take a quick break and hear a word from our sponsors. And we'll be right back. The most important Bible translation is the one you read. At Apollos Watered, we use several different translations when we're studying, preaching, or teaching. But again and again, we keep coming back to the New Living Translation, the NLT. That's why we are excited to partner together. We are united in the belief that understanding the Bible changes everything. Because if you can't understand it, then you won't read it. We want you to know the God of the Bible, to water your faith so that you will water your world. That's why we recommend getting an NLT. It's the Bible in the language we speak. It's not foreign or complicated, but up close and personal. To save some money, go to Tyndale.com. Use the promo code NLT Bibles. It will give you 15% off. There's an NLT for everyone from kids to adults, devotional Bibles, study Bibles, and so much more. Get one today because understanding the Bible changes everything. And the NLT is the Bible you can understand. Let's talk a bit about your biography. I mean, who you are, where you're from, some of your family story, Thrive Today, and then how we get to this, this little book right here, The Joy Switch. You got to be pretty proud about this little book. I am. I am proud of it. It was it was a fun book to write. And I actually just started writing it during COVID, right? When the world shut down, my sons are home from school, craziness. And I'm trying to write a book about how to stay relational and how to build joy. <laughs> the irony, there's a lot of irony there. So yeah. So I got to practice all, all the exercises. There's 19 exercises in that book, Travis. It's a small book, 19 exercises. I've practiced those exercises as I was writing it to make sure this stuff worked. And I practiced with my family and friends. Wait so, a minute. Yeah. There's 19. I mean, I remember you talking about the 19 relational skills, but where I don't, I don't remember counting 19 as I read through the book. Yeah. Yeah. So it, the, we, we train 19 relational skills and there's 19 exercises in the book. They're not related. There's just, it just ended up being 19 actual practice exercises in the book. So yeah, not related to the 19 skills, but the irony of like, yeah, well, there's 19 exercises here. So yeah. So tell us about where, I mean, your story is fascinating. You include that in the book. So give us the Chris M. Corsi story. All right. Well, you know, I grew up small Baptist church in central Illinois and my mom would faithfully drive my siblings and I to school, to church, no matter what. I mean, it could be ice, sleet, blizzard. We would get in my mom's little Dodge Omni packed into this little car and she would get us to church. So I come from a, you know, a family that, that loves Jesus we're going to church. So I, I really grew up with that foundation. No doubt in my mind, God is real. God is true. His word is, is true. You know, the, that foundation was there, but there was something missing. Mm. And the thing that was missing that I can now identify looking back on it is there wasn't a lot of joy. People weren't necessarily mm. glad to be together. We were good at, you know, putting in our time and doing the things we're supposed to be doing. But 
I felt disconnected. I didn't really feel like, yeah, these are my people. This is, you know, this is, this is my community. And so that, unfortunately, some of those, some of those distortions impacted how I viewed God. I viewed God as a very angry God. And so I was always like afraid to, you know, I don't want to get too close to this God because he, you know, I'm a bad Christian. He's going to get mad. Like I had my own woundedness, basically kind of, you know, those splinters uh, really impacted my faith, Travis. And uh, this thing called puberty hit and I became a teenager and I saw all my friends, you know, they were going to church. They were doing, you know, what they wanted to do. And so I kind of started drifting. Uh, basically, I stopped going to church as I got older. And again, just I wasn't just really connected with with the community. Still believe God, God was real, but it was like I, there was fear. Like, I just don't want to get too close. I'm not going to, you know, he's disappointed me. What's the point? I'm just, I can't, you know, I can't do anything right here. That was my, my kind of lens, how I was seeing God and how I was interpreting his word. So, yeah, teenager years hit. I discover alcohol. I discover, you know, partying in high school and um, somehow still managed to get good grades. School always came easy for me. So I found my identity in, in partying. Like I just, I became more social and even more outgoing when I was drinking. And I just liked who I was. Um, I was just, yeah, I didn't have the fear just wasn't as much of an issue when I was drinking. And so that, you know, made it into college. Things just kind of kept getting worse. And by the time I got into college, Travis, I got two DUIs within a year. And so driving under the influence, and it, I felt like my world just came crashing down uh, right there. Just, wow, I'm a disappointment to God. Like, look what I've become. I'm a disappointment to my family. I'm just like, what's the point? You know, what's the point here? And so the, the thing that really impacted me, there were a couple of things that, that hit me at that time. And one of them was when my second DUI happened, my friends bailed me out of jail. And I just thought, I, I don't want to live. Like, I, I just want my life to be over. And I basically looked up to the sky and yelled out, God, what do you want from me? You know, like I, I knew that somehow God is still in this, but I'm mad at him because I feel like, you know, my life, I'm just such a failure. So look up, yell at God, you know, what do you want from me? My friends just thought I was crazy. And I, but I knew in, in the darkest moment, I knew, you know, that God is still at work, but I'm mad at him because I don't feel like he's a resource. And in that moment, I had this image in my mind when I, you know, was kind of yelling at God. I had this image of my mind of, of just the, the thought of Jesus standing close by with his arms out, kind of like I would with my son saying, Chris, why are you running? Why are you fighting me? Like, I just want you to come here. Like, why are you running from me? And it's like what I would do with my sons if my son was up to like, well, come here, you know, like, come here, I'll, I'll hug you, I'll hold you, like, come here. And there was this, that image, it was just a picture, but the thoughts were Jesus, like, you know, why are you fighting me? You know, I'm right here, I love you, I, I don't, you know, I'm here. And I didn't tell my friends about that because I didn't quite know what to do with that, but I thought, what was that? Like, I've never had that happen before. And shortly thereafter, I got a call from um, uh, uh, my aunt who works for a ministry in Indiana. And she's like, hey, how would you like to come do an internship with our with our ministry? And I knew she worked with pretty intense stuff, people coming out of severe trauma. She helped people coming out of Satanism and the occult, like pretty like sex trafficking, really intense stuff. 
And she's like, why don't you come to an internship this summer? She's like, what else are you going to do? You can't drive anywhere. Like, you know, why don't you just come <laughs> and, you know, answer phones, help us in the office and observe sessions. You know, it's a Christian ministry. So they pray with people and they work with severe trauma. And I thought, well, I don't have anything else to do. And here's the one opportunity I have. I guess I'll try this. So I get dropped off in Indiana at this ministry. And, you know, my my role was just basically to help out. But they wanted me in the sessions just to observe, you know, with the person's permission. I would just sit there and kind of watch basically while they worked with people. And I didn't know it at the time, Travis, but the first the first person that I was observing their ministry sessions, this was like their hardest client, like the toughest client they oh. ever had. And I, I didn't know that nobody told me that, but it was one of those deals where as they would start to pray with this person, as soon as they start praying, she would fall on the ground writhing and her face would contort and her voice would change. And it was like there, you know, there was something going on here. And I'm like, what is this? Like, you know, I'm sitting there wide eyed and they're the prayer, you know, the people are just praying for this woman, Lord, just, you know, we take authority over that. We you know, Lord comfort her. And like, they weren't phased by the intensity and the, you know, what I felt like was some pretty scary stuff happening. They weren't phased. They're just, you know, praying and staying present and comforting the woman. And, and I, I, you know, what we would do is we would end up taking breaks throughout the day. And every time it was time for a break, they would turn to look at me and my chair was in the farthest corner of the room. Like, you know, far just away. Back, I was sliding back. back. Like, I'm, I don't know what this stuff is. I'm, I'm getting in the farthest corner of the room every time. Like I would start out next to them. Oh, but my, my chair ended up in the farthest corner. Oh, so this was the pattern for three days. So three days I'm sitting here watching this and I'm struck by, you know, a couple of things struck me. One was how peaceful the helpers were, you know, the, the counselors and the therapists, they, they weren't phased by anything. They were, they were right mm. there. You know, there'd be times the woman would try to bite them and, but there was like a, but she couldn't, like there was some invisible force stopping what was going on and it wasn't phasing you know any of the 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 counselors they were just rolling with it so three days of this travis and i thought i am not cut out for this work you know my <laughs> i don't know what this is i hadn't heard about this in church my sociology psychology courses in school was not telling me about this stuff this i'm out of my depth i'm out of my league here so you know that night i prayed and i basically you know kind of a one of those desperation prayers where you just kind of send this desperate prayer, this postcard to God. And I said, God, I know you're here working. I can't deny it, but I, I don't, I, I think you made a mistake because I, I don't think I'm supposed to be here. Um, but I know enough, you know, I've got this little bitty tiny faith. I know enough that I can only be here if you want me here. And if you want me here, I'll stay. Even if it kills me, I'll, I'll stay. But if you don't want me here, I'm, I'm leaving tomorrow. Like I'm going to leave tomorrow. So. There we go. Because I knew my colleagues would ask if I prayed about, you know, my decision because I was going to tell them the next day I'm out of here. I don't know how I'm getting home because I don't have a license. I'll hitchhike or I'll walk. I'm just not going to stay. And I said the prayer, covered the base, turned off the light. And I every intention of going to sleep and waking up the next day and and leaving. And 
as I was trying to fall to sleep, I kept having this thought and this thought was just kind of bouncing in my mind, like the old screensavers where you get a word on the screen and it just floats. You remember those floating? That was this thought in my head and it was a foreign thought. I didn't know what it was, Um, but it wouldn't, I couldn't go to sleep. I've kept trying to fight this to go to sleep and I couldn't go to sleep. And the thought was Isaiah 61. So it was like a word and a number Isaiah 61. And I'm like, I grew up in the church, but we didn't really touch the Old Testament very much. So I didn't know what Isaiah 61 was. It just was like, what is this? You know, what does this mean? It's a word and a number. And I thought, well, it sounds like something from the Bible, but I don't, I don't know what Isaiah 61 is. So I had the idea, uh, turned on the light. I'm like, I'll go find a Bible and I'll see if this is a Bible thought. And so I found a Bible on the shelf and I opened up, you know, and just started looking at the books of the Bible. You know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and I'm going down the books. And then my my hand stops when I see Isaiah, you know, the prophet named Isaiah. And I thought, wow, this is this is interesting. And I could feel my butterflies in my stomach because I'm like, well, this is weird. And I'm like, well, surely there's not, a, you know, 61 is a big number, probably not a 61 in this in this book, but I'll look. And so I find Isaiah and I start you know, going down, looking at the numbers and the numbers are getting bigger, you know, 10, 20 and 30. And I'm kind of like, wow, I could feel this, you know, a little tension in my body as I'm seeing these numbers, 50, 60, 61. And then like my heart skips a beat, like, what is this? And I start reading it, you know, the spirit of the sovereign Lord God is upon me to preach good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives. And I'm, as I'm reading the words on this page in my mind is like a Rolodex of images of what I'd been observing for those three days of that internship. They were preaching good news. And, you know, they, the things that they were doing mm. is a lot of what Isaiah 61 was talking about. And so I just, I read the whole chapter and I thought, this is, this is crazy. Well, let me get another Bible and I'll see if it's in that Bible too. So I found another Bible and a different version. And I found Isaiah 61 was in that Bible and, you know, words were, you know, very similar. And I thought, okay, you know, I I can't take credit for this because, you know, I would take credit for something like this and just discount it. But I was like, I can't take credit for this because I don't know. I didn't know Isaiah 61 was even in the Bible. So I got on my knees and I had the thought, I think God's talking to me. I, I, I gotta, I gotta pay attention to this. And so got on my knees and just said, okay, God, I think, I think, I think you want me to stay and I will stay. Like, even if this kills me, I'll stay because I want to be where you want me to be. And if you want me here, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm way out of my league, but I'll stay. And so the next morning I just kind of had to humbly share with the, you know, with my colleagues, like you guys, this stuff is pretty weird. I don't really understand it. Um, In fact, I'm, you know, kind of scary what I'm, what I'm experiencing here with this work, but I prayed last night. And I asked Jesus just, you know, to, to either, you know, show me if he wanted me to stay or I was leaving. And I, I had this thought and I, I said, the thought was Isaiah 61. And I was like, that's in the Bible. And, and I, when I said Isaiah, Isaiah 61, I saw their faces like start smiling after I shared that they're like, well, Chris, this is, you know, this is funny because when we prayed about our, our mission statement from the Lord. Uh, a while back, it was Isaiah 61 is our mission statement. Like that is, that is what we felt like God is saying, this is the work I'm called. I want you to do. And so they just were delighted to hear my story. And I thought, okay, well, I think I'm going to stay. And I don't, you know, I, I don't understand this stuff, but I stayed and I started reading the Bible and I just, it, 
I went from Mr. Partier to, okay, you know what? Like God is in this place and his word is like, this is just amazing. Like, like Jesus is like right here. And I, it just, it just changed my life. So I went back to school after I went back because I had one more year of school and I went back a changed man after that summer. I, I started carrying a Bible around. I started talking about Jesus to all my friends. All my friends thought I was crazy because I was Mr. Partier. Now I'm talking about Jesus and reading the Bible. And I just wanted to share with everybody, like there's a fire was lit in me that I want the whole world to understand that, yeah, I saw a lot of crazy evil stuff that summer with people coming out of some really dark stuff, but I saw God working and I saw his light shine into that darkness and it changed people's lives, like profoundly miraculous, like God showed up for people who had been through some really scary stuff. I just wanted the world to know that, Travis, and that put me on the course to, you know, here 25 years later, here I am, you know, doing things I never anticipated or expected I would be doing. And so the joy switch has come out of, of, of a very long time of, you know, working with a guy by the name of Jim Wilder, looking at how the brain works and, and looking at scripture from a very relational perspective. And I never would have predicted that I would be here and we would be talking about this stuff, you know, so many years later. It's all over, I believe it. I'm on your side. What what is Thrive's mission? Yeah, so Thrive Thrive today is a ministry my wife and I run. And and basically what we do is we do training. And so we train people in relational skills. And so one of the things that that I discovered shortly after this internship uh, was a book called The Life Model, Living from the Heart Jesus Gave You. And one of the authors was Jim Wilder. And he was was a clinical psychologist in Southern California. And I met him at a lot of uh, Christian conferences talking about the brain and how God created us for joy. And so here was, he was also ordained minister you know, talking about how humans really joy is the fuel for your brain. And so when you look at what helps humans thrive, it's it's a relational, glad to be together joy. And so looking at the scripture through a relational lens and looking at how, you know, life and relationships work, joy was the missing ingredient in my upbringing. Like I come from a very loving family, a great church, but there, we weren't necessarily glad to be together. Like pain was loud. Fear was rampant. It was just, there wasn't a lot of joy. So Thrive Today really focuses on training people in skills. And one of these skills is joy that ideally we learn about the first three years of life. So if your family has some joy, if your family knows how to quiet, if your family knows how to get back to joy from from big feelings, those seeds of those skills are planted the first three years of life. But if they don't have the skills, then you learn non-relational ways of living and doing your relationships in very non-relational kinds of ways. So what Thrive does is it helps people learn these skills that ideally our communities would have, but they're kind of fading. They're unfortunately fading from our world for lots of reasons. So we train people, you know, how to grow joy, how to learn to get back to joy from your anger, from your hopeless despair, all of these skills that come from brain science and kind of come from just being Christians and looking at at the Bible and say, you know, certain ingredients should be there. And when they're not there, there's something that happens because this ingredient's not there. So we train what we call 19 relational skills Mm -hmm. and we run events, we do retreats, we 
we do all kinds of stuff, write books, uh, really to help people learn about these things. And this is part of what helps us to mature. And I can memorize the Bible and still mm-hmm. not be able to make my relationships work. And, you know, and so, you know, trying to mm-hmm. bridge this disconnect for people to do a really good job loving people and to love people well and to be a relational bunch who reflects Jesus relationally in this world. Uh, that's really what we're about. And we're, we're very much trying to train people and equip people with these skills. We call them relational skills. Some people call them character skills. But these are skills that just help us to be a relational bunch who love well, and we recover when things go wrong, and we're able to be our relational selves when things get hard, right? Because scripture tells us, don't be surprised when fiery trials show up on your doorstep. So we know those fiery trials are going to show up on our doorstep. But if I don't have relational skills, then what happens is when those trials show up, I become non-relational. I say and do things that don't reflect my values or my faith very well. And I act like a different person. And so what we're trying to do is just train people in these skills so that they reflect Jesus in the good times, but also in the bad times. And, and to be able to live that out relationally. It's, fa- it's a fascinating ministry. It's fun because we, you know, everybody wants to be the people that God created them to be. And there's lots of reasons why we're not being the people that God created us to be. So sometimes we got to get rocks out of our shoes and sometimes we have to correct the limp that developed because of the rock in our shoe. And so, yeah, we're very much a, a, a training, equipping kind of a ministry. We got love that we'll never need to hide. Love will always rise above. Whatever comes, you will be just fine. If I am yours and you are mine. Let's talk about the joy switch now. And we, we've talked on the show before previously about enemy mode. Now, getting into enemy mode, again, you're referring to Jim Wilder, but I want to talk about the joy switch. You've already said that we're designed to live on joy. I think scripturally, if you've ever read anything by C.S. Lewis or John Piper, joy is all over their stuff. But now we have the brain science actually show something we've already seen theologically and experienced as well. But I love how that you put it into just this common vernacular. And it's not easy to do because you're talking about brain science and you mentioned the joy switch. So what is the joy switch? And I mean, as you said on here, what sets you off? And I've, I've read the book and I know that it's not easy to say on and off all the time, but just let's talk about what the joy switch is here for a moment. Yeah. So it's really interesting. You know, there's, there's times in the Bible where something happens or maybe something goes wrong and and people kind of temporarily forget who they are so it's like peter telling jesus i will you know they might you know reject you i won't like we're in this like i'm with you till the end and jesus like no actually you're gonna deny me you know you're gonna do it and he's like (laughs) i am like i am with you so peter had faith he had willpower Right. He was going to try to make good choices. So Peter was determined to be faithful to Jesus and not to deny the one that he loved. And we all know the story that things got intense. Things got scary. Right. And he's questioned several times and he denies Jesus. He he denies that he knows Jesus. So he did the very thing that he said he wouldn't do. And after Jesus turns to him and he and he sees and they kind of lock eyes and Peter realizes what he's done. 
uh, it says that he wept bitterly as as he he ran off, right? But he wept bitterly. That Greek word is very strong. It's like you want to die. Like I just did the very thing I never wanted to do. I denied. I denied my Lord, and I you know I was I didn't want to do that. How could I have done that? And so, from brain science, we'd look at that story and go. Wow, Peter temporarily forgot who he was because his self-preservation circuit took over. And so when our self-preservation circuit takes over in our brain, we kind of temporarily forget who we are and we react and we just try to avoid pain. And it's a pain avoidance. It's a, it's a fear system in the brain. And when the fear system is running, we're not a good version of ourselves. And so the joy switch is basically putting words to this system that it's more like it's kind of like a circuit breaker. And my wife, you know, sometimes uses a hair dryer to dry her hair. And sometimes she plugs it into a certain outlet and inevitably like the, the power goes out on that outlet. It's just too much on that outlet. And the, 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 you know, the circuit flips. So I have to go downstairs to the circuit breaker box and flip the switch back on. And in a sense, we have that relational circuit breaker in our brain. And when we expect joy and glad to be togetherness, the switch kind of comes on. So it's a, I like when I travel and I'm missing my wife and my sons, I can't wait to get home and walk in and see them and, you know, light up when I, when I see their faces. When you expect joy, the system kind of turns on and it's, it's running in a good way. So it's like we're relational, we're, we feel peaceful, we're hopeful. We're a good version of ourselves. But when something goes wrong and I can't manage what I'm feeling, so maybe my flight gets canceled on my way home and I get really upset because I'm tired and I'm eager to be with my family and I miss my family because I've been traveling for a while. My flight gets canceled. Suddenly I'm focused on a problem. Now I become you know, maybe non-relational in some way. So I'm getting mad. Maybe I'm getting short with people or I'm I just, I just, all I could think about is just trying to get out of this mess to get home. And that's what we call enemy mode. So enemy mode is basically when, you know, people around you feel like enemies. I'm not glad to be with people in the airport because I just want to be home. And it's just, it, you know, that's where we kind of lose ourselves sometimes. So this switch can be on or off. We actually kind of compare it to more of a dimmer switch. So that means that I can be relational, things are going well, but then things, you know, maybe things don't happen or play out the way that I'm hoping. And I start to feel a little bit of the wind taken out of my relational sail. So maybe I'm starting to get sad or mad or disappointed. And then suddenly, next thing I know, I'm reactive. I'm saying and doing things that don't really reflect the heart that Jesus has given me. I just don't reflect who God made me to be. I'm acting like a different person. And then, you know, maybe I quiet, you know, something happens and maybe I come back eventually and I'm like, wow, I, I really, you know, said some things I regret. I, I have to apologize. I've, I didn't handle that very well. Kind of like Peter, where like you, you do things that don't really reflect your faith or your values very well. And so brain science tells us the switch is there and we can learn to recognize when we start to lose it. Right. And how may, okay, I'm losing my relational self. I need to get back. I need to do something here to get back to be, you know, my relational self once again. And so you can learn to recognize it, but you can also learn to recover when things start going wrong. Because if we live in enemy mode, basically, we just make a mess out of things. We just say things we're not glad that we say. We do things that's hurtful or rude or offensive. And we're just, we're in the part of our brain that is not pretty. We're in the part of our brain that's run on fear. And it's just focusing on trying to get results. It, we want to win. 
we want to come out number one. Like we just, we just want to come out on top. These are good. This isn't a good place to be. And, and so it's interesting to look at like, you know, even Moses is another great example when God told him to speak to the rock in numbers and, you know, people were complaining again and they were thirsty. And instead of speaking to the rock, he got angry and he hit the rock. You know, you know, God still brought the water, but that, that, you know, Moses temporarily kind of forgot who he was. And he said some things and he did some things that, that really had big consequences. Now he didn't, he didn't get to go into the promised land because of what happened. So we all have limitations. And when we run out of our, what I call capacity, we, when we run out of the relational bandwidth that we have, the results show up in whether or not we're relational. And so I become a non-relational version of myself. Maybe I just want to be on my phone. I'm lost in my work. I'm no longer in tune with my people, with the relational stuff that's going on. And as you said earlier, you know, I can know the Bible beginning to end, but if I can't relationally be a person that reflects Christ, there's going to be a disconnect and it's not going to be a, a good result in how people view me or what I represent if I'm not a relational version of the God that I serve. And so being relational, we thankfully serve a relational God. And even Jesus, while he was enduring the cross and some of the hard stuff that he was going through, he remembered who he was. It was painful. It was awful. You know what he was going through, but he remembered who he was. He didn't forget who he was. He still forgave people. He still prayed for people. He stayed. He stayed relational. It was just a, a remarkable, really. Uh, he could do that. Far has never felt so far away than it does today, my dear. The world is spinning out then I'm willing to face without you here. I can't imagine the vitriol that my, I would have myself yelling at people. But, but he understood that what it would, you know, the joy set before him endured the cross because he knew that joy is a motivator. You mentioned beeps. <laughs> and I can tell you've been hanging out with Marcus because there, yeah, there's, yeah, he's there's an acronym acronyms. Guy. <laughs> Yeah, and you had beeps and cake, even though you didn't say cake until later. Because so, for those that have not gone back and listened to these episodes, go back because uh, these are just either really good mnemonic devices to hold on to in the middle of it. But tell us what beeps <laughs> is there for a moment. I, that one I hadn't seen, so I was like, "Oh, that's good," because you, you the idea of a beep going off. So tell us, yeah. What so beeps kind of play into this and fit into this whole thing in that. When I can't effectively manage what I'm feeling, what happens is if I don't have a pathway back to glad to be the other joy, then what happens is my brain is highly motivated to avoid feelings that I can't manage. So I want to make the pain stop. And BEEPS stands for behaviors, events, experiences, or people or substances that I turn to when I can't manage what I feel. So I want comfort. Um, I want something to make the pain stop. And like sugar is a common is a common one. So maybe I just need that that candy bar, that pick me up, something to just give me that rush because I'm feeling lonely. I'm I'm feeling alone. I'm feeling overwhelmed with my work. I just feel like I need something. And it's kind of when we roam the house looking for some snack or looking for something that we want. And again, it could be a behavior. So maybe I, I act out in certain ways. 
or I seek certain experiences to try to feel better and compensate in some way, or I, I seek events and I just, just, you know, I, I had a friend who loved Tiger Woods and she was just infatuated with Tiger Woods and she had all of his posters and anywhere he was playing golf, she would go and follow him. And she was like his biggest fan. It was like her life, right? She just, you know, that was just, that helped her feel important. So we can seek out people or we can seek out substances. You know, that's where people turn to alcohol, drugs, all kinds of really unhelpful stuff. And the, the, you know, basically my brain has to learn how to, how to still be me while I manage what I feel. So if I'm having a bad day, how do I stay in my relational self with people around me? I can acknowledge, wow, this has been a hard day. Like all these things have gone wrong. And I'm, I'm feeling like, yeah, my, my fuse is getting short. My wick is getting shorter there. You know, this is, this is really my fuse is short and I'm, I'm struggling. So can I stay relational under those conditions? Or if not, then I, I seek out something to feel better. And so it's kind of what we call pseudo joy and pseudo quieting. So joy is a high energy. We're glad to be together. Joy is this relationship. But you can only sustain so much joy before you need a breather. And so we, all, we need to have this rhythm of glad to be togetherness. Now we rest. And when we can rest, then we're ready for more interactive joy. So there's a rhythm. And some people are good at joy, but they don't quiet. Or some people, they're good at quiet, but they don't enter into like relational joy. And so Beeps kind of artificially comes in here when I'm short, when I'm uh, lacking something here that I need. Beeps is like, how do it's a quick fix. How do I feel better and find some comfort? And that's also where like sex, you know, we got a lot of leaders are crashing and burning because someone's glad to be with them and it's not their spouse. And so when I see that other person, somebody else light up to see me, my brain says, hey, pay attention. You know, this, this feels good to have someone who's glad to be with me. So we're vulnerable to doing things that doesn't line up with our faith or our values or our character when joy levels start to drop. Or we're not quieting and we're not keeping that rhythm. So we need that rhythm of connecting, working, interacting, and resting together. And usually one or both are missing. And Beeps is right there, ready to step in. And just basically, what do I do? If I'm having a bad day, what do I turn to? That tells us a lot about some Beeps are very religious looking. And, you know, I can be a good servant and just find my identity and just serving others. And so some beeps are a little more obvious than others. And just, you know, the goal, the thing is, what am I doing to compensate for what's what I need relationally? So whatever I'm doing to compensate for what's missing relationally, that's where beeps kind of steps in. And it's interesting, you know, in studies with sugar, like mice will prefer sugar water over cocaine and mice will seek out sugar water. And they, if, if they have a choice, you know, they'll choose sugar water. And again, cocaine is, is also a beeps, but sugar water, if, if mice have a choice between sugar water and regular water as well, they will choose the sugar water and they will eventually drink so much of it, they lose their sense of taste. They can no longer taste the sugar in the water, but instead of stopping the sugar water and drinking the regular water, they keep drinking the sugar water until it kills them because they remember how good it was when they first started drinking it. So the memory of the sugar experience is why they keep drinking it until it kills them. They will eventually die because it's like, you know, this is good stuff. And it just, I like how I feel and I want to keep doing it. 
And it's the very thing that kills them. So beeps can get deadly if we, you know, if we don't get the joy and the peace that we need in our families and our communities. Beeps can be pretty destructive and, and really tear down the very thing that we've been building all of our life. I know I'm lucky, man, but I don't feel lucky, man. Why can't I feel what I know? Still ain't got what I wanted, man. Same cause, same suffering. I know I reap what I sow. I'm fast forwarding in my head. 5.30. My wife's the cook in our house. She's just, she's a great cook. She loves to cook. Sometimes I'll, I'll but if I, I cook, you know, my kids are screaming in pain. But she's like, I need your help. You know, I need your help. And that means I want you to come help me. Help me and I want you to spend time with me. I, I'm tired. I don't want to, I'm not relationally there at that moment in time. I usually will go because... I know that later there could be a problem. <laughs> yes. Wise, wise man. Yeah, yes. I just there's gonna be a problem there because she's asking for time. And that that's her love language. And, and so I'm trying to figure out though, when is it okay? Because you do mention rest. We need rest. And I know I'm getting ahead of things. I know I'm getting ahead of things, but I'm putting myself on the couch right now. So when do we actually allow ourselves rest? And when is it okay to have that time away where I am on my phone? That really enjoys a great question. It's a very important question. So it's always helpful to keep in mind joy is a relationship. So whenever you see joy in the Bible, it's a relationship. So for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross in Hebrews 12 too. So I like to tell people, put your name in, in the, in and replace joy with your name. So for Travis, Jesus, you know, did, endured the cross right scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of god so joy is a relationship so you put your name in there because he did that for you right so it's very personal and you know jesus said that you know when we ask things in his name that we'll receive and our joy will be full so again this is a you have to see joy in the context of a relationship and And it's when, you know, like trying to find out, like, how do I do this? How do I balance, you know, connecting with my wife? I'm tired and I don't feel like interacting. So what you describe is you need rest in those moments. Your your wife might be looking for some glad to be together connection. And she's been, you know, looking forward to this time in the evening that you guys would have together. And you're tired. Maybe it's been a hard day or a long day. You're ready for rest. So the question is really ultimately. Um, what time is it? So if, if my wife and I, and this happens a lot, cause my wife will, um, her go-to is connection over rest. My go-to is rest over connection. So what's restorative for me is quieting and resting. What's restorative for her is connecting. So part of it is how do we find that rhythm? And so I might say, honey, I know you're really looking forward to connect. I'm tired. Could we just first rest for a few minutes? Let's quiet. Let's come here and sit on the couch next to me. You know, let me hold you. Let's just quiet for a few minutes and then let's connect. And what I find, you know, this is where the joy switch comes in. What I find is if I'm tired, it's hard to keep the joy switch on. I don't feel like interacting. I'd rather be on my phone. I'd rather be watching TV or whatever it might be. If I can quiet even for two, three minutes, then this joy switch tends to wake up and kind of come back online. And I actually then feel like connecting. And I'm like, okay, well, that act three, you know, a couple minutes of just sitting here help me. I actually, okay, now let's interact. You know, now I'm ready. So it helps to just understand 
when the non-relational part of my brain is running the show, I don't feel like connecting. I will feel like doing non-relational things. I don't want to be around people. I would rather be on my phone. And it's not that being on your phone is necessarily a bad thing. Where it becomes bad is when it starts to bleed into my relationships. And it starts, you know, I'm on my phone more than I'm getting the relational connection. So part of it is just balancing the quieting, balancing the, the connecting in ways that respect where people are at. And so part of it is just having this conversation with my wife, like, honey, you are restored when you connect with people. Like you want connection. Quieting is a little harder for her. Whereas for me, man, it's easy to quiet. I could go and quiet all day. Like, you know, I, I can easily do that. But part of it's finding that rhythm of, can we quiet for a few minutes first? And then let's connect. Or maybe I need to go quiet for a few minutes and just breathe. <sighs> and then go enter into the connecting. And again, it's connecting that that really matches the energy that we have. And so I'm recovering from, you know, being sick. And so my energy levels have been really low. So it's helpful that my, my family recognizes that. I say, you know, guys, I miss you. I've been sick and I haven't been able to enter in. And I, I miss you guys. And so part of it is just even recognizing um, wow, my energy is low. I, I, I haven't been able to enter in, but I'm looking forward to, to feeling better. And you connect with what you have to work with. And so where people get in trouble is they don't respect capacity. So if my wife is just, no, I'm missing you, whether you want to rest or not, we're going to connect. Well, what's going to happen? My joy switch is going to quickly go off because now I'm, you know, I'm feeling pushed here and I'm going through the motions. I'm not really in it. I'm just, it's not going to be satisfying. So part of it is how do we connect recognizing where people are at and what they have to work with? And let's, let's find that rhythm. And that changes, that changes by the day, but it helps to have this language and it helps to recognize, you know, am I in my relational sweet spot or not? And I would recognize interacting with my wife. Sometimes I, in the middle of a conversation, I would grab my phone and do something on my phone, like not even realizing I was doing it. And she would look at me like, Am I boring you? Why are why did you just pick up your phone? And I'm like, oh, I, I don't know. That's <laughs> that's a good question. I'm really sorry, you know, and that was rude. And and I did that several times. And I could see by her face it wasn't bringing her joy. So I'm like, why am I doing this? So I took I took a little time one day and I'm like, I'm gonna pray about this and think about why am I doing this? Because it's obviously not increasing the joy levels in my marriage. And um, the thought that I had when I was, you know, thinking and praying about this was when I needed a breather, instead of saying, honey, I need a breather. Cause my wife can like, she's got an amazing brain that can hold on to many things at the same time. And she can, you know, if she's got like a super brain, like, she can just do it. I got, I got like one thing, like, give me, you know, one thing. <laughs> and that's what I've got. Like, and you change, you know, I can't do two things or three things. I've got like one. And then I'm, you know, I can't do it anymore. My brain can't multitask. And so what was happening, I was just getting, I needed a breather. I, I needed a moment to quiet. And instead of doing that, my beat, my phone became a beep. And I picked up my phone and I started doing stuff. And now what I do when we interact, I just say, honey, I think I need a breather here before we tackle the next you know, topic. Can we just like, can I, I just give me like two minutes. I just need, I just need a breather. I just need to go outside and walk the dogs around the yard for a moment. I'll be back. So what I needed was a quiet to keep the connecting going. But instead of recognizing that, 
my brain went to, you know, kind of pseudo quiet. And that's where the phone became a problem. Otherwise, no, the phone can can be useful and productive and, and all that. But it's when it interrupts the relational stuff that you're trying to steward in your family or your community or your church and so forth. That's that's where we we have to work a little harder initially to find that rhythm and just to respect people's capacity. Some of us have amazing capacity for connection. Some of us don't. And so how do we, you know, how do we navigate that terrain in a satisfying way? Chris's story is a perfect example of how beeps work, isn't it? The behaviors, events, experiences, people, and substances he allowed to influence him. To substitute for the joy, the relationships that he craved, the relational skills he didn't have hampered those relationships, and most of us have similar experiences when we stop and think about it. And it's imperative that we understand this. If we are going to be fulfilling the mission of God where we are at, we have to understand the necessity of having relationships with people, to understand that people all around us are craving relationship and that their brains are designed to run on joy. And we need to be able to show them the greatest joy that is available to them, and that is knowing Jesus. I I really did enjoy Chris's book. It's small, short, practical, only 159 pages long, and it has practice exercises. That's the other thing I like about this, because we're not just heads on sticks. We need to be able to put these things into practice. They're to the point and practical. Next time we finish up the conversation, we'll be talking more about the practical side of flipping on the joy switch. So tune in to the next episode to hear that. What questions do you have from this episode? We would love to hear from you. Please drop me a line at Travis at ApolloSwanner.org or connect with us through Facebook, Instagram, or our YouTube channel where you can watch this conversation and many of our other conversations. And please be sure to subscribe. I want to thank our Apollos Water team for watering the world. This is Travis Michael Fleming signing off from Apollos Water. Stay watered, everybody. <laughs>